That was beautiful. Thank you. It's nice to be here. It's nice to see so many people I know, Paul New, and nice to see you and your family here. How many people are with Paul New today and his family here? Wow, that's great, and it's always nice to to be back home. My wife and son, Jake, are worshiping in um, College Hill Community Church. They send their welcome. My daughter's up in Pennsylvania. She says, you know, she wishes she was here too, but she's at school far away, so I'm sort of here by myself. But my mom and dad are here, so that's good. Um, it was interesting. A couple years ago, I was um, doing a television interview, and someone asked me where my home church was. And I had to think for a while, and I said, well, I guess my home church is in Stearns, Kentucky. And, um, you know, the, the moderator there was, you know, he sort of, you know, said, well, where's that? <laughs> you know, so, so I had to explain some of the background of how we um, arrived at our family arrived at Stearns, Kentucky and everything that's been happened um, since then. But this is a church that's at the core of the DNA uh, of, of my family. And we, everywhere we go, we take a little bit of Stearns, Kentucky with us. Um, what's that song? You can take the, what's it, you take the something out of this boy, but you can't take the country. Yeah, what's that go like that? I don't know. I know. Boy out of the country. Yeah. And thank you, Christine, for, for, for your song. And, um, this little church is reaching much more than you expect. I was talking to, um, Stan Walcott this week and he's doing a big, um, event down in, um, Knoxville tomorrow called Healthy Taste of Knoxville. They're expecting two or 3,000 people to come and start sharing what we've heard about in, 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 in Sabbath school, about how we can meet the needs of our neighbors. And he was mentioning how, um, you know, he didn't know that I had connections up here. He was mentioning how, um, yeah, we have a great little restaurant um, that's coming down from Stearns, Kentucky, and, and a great young cook and, and leader is going to come down there, and they're going to share our talents with Knoxville. And then they said, we wish we could have this in our city, but we can't get anyone to do it. You know, and that was, that was sort of made me sad. And I, I live in Chattanooga and I wish we had something like this in Chattanooga, but we don't. We have the resources, but we just can't seem to get it done. So thank you for what you're doing here to reach your community. Thank you for taking the time to come down to Knoxville tomorrow. I'm going to be representing Colin Campbell at the Plant Pure Nation down there tomorrow. And if anyone wants to get some good food and learn some things about eating a little healthier, come on down to Knoxville tomorrow. It's in the afternoon. But I also want to encourage you to come this afternoon um, to Biblical Prescriptions for Life. And this is what HeartWise Ministries Evangelistic Outreach has been this year. And we're giving tools to churches, not only to help their members get healthy, but also to have an evangelistic tool where they can reach the needs of their neighbors and friends. I was down in Florida in April, and we did. We just kicked this off in January. Um, Kay Arthur helped me write this. Um, Beth Moore, some of the team that helped me. It, the Bible study looks very much like the Bible study that everyone looks at. And they said, well, a Bible study has to sort of look a certain way because the only people that buy it are women. So you have to appeal towards women. So we very much structured it to appeal towards women. Um, but in doing this, we found out in this church in Florida that we went to, that we, we gave the sort of opening like we're going to do this afternoon. And really, they, they learned the program themselves. And they were so excited about it. I think they had like 100 people start the first 
program, all within their church. And they learned it, and they found out that it was simple, it was doable. And from there, they were so excited about it, they went out in their neighborhoods and they invited two of their friends each. And they said, listen, do you want to lose weight or, or maybe be happier or come off of medicine or fight depression? Come study with me for seven weeks. And they have done that down in this church in Florida. And after seven weeks, it goes through it, but it ends in the physiology of worship and how worship changes our chemistry as well. And when they saw how the DNA changes when we just worship and how worship and health go together, the better we worship, the better health we have. The better health we have, the better we connect with God. When they saw that connection, they then invited their friends. Would you like to come and worship with us? And they had like 20 or 30 people from those small groups now worshiping with them. And God's moving in their lives. So that was very excited. And um, so I'm excited to be here um, with everyone today. Um, my dad says we finish at 1230. We might finish sooner if I see people going to sleep after 15 minutes. I don't mind, okay? The material that we're going to talk about is a little bit on the deep side, but I'm going to try to make it simple and make it doable for you so that you can have something when you leave here that you can have really for the rest of your life. Some little kernel of truth that God, God, every time this presentation is done, something t- takes away something different, but at least one thing that you can take with you and share with your friends. Um, But before we do that, let's bow our heads once again. Father God, please be with us and open our heart to your voice. Thank you for each person here, and thank you for your promises and your son is our prayer. Amen. Our scripture today is from Philippians 4, verse 6. And I was given this, I was using this text at Lee University not too long ago, and I said, well, could you open your Bibles to Philippians 4, verse 6? And there was probably five or six hundred students on the right side, and the older people were sitting on the right side. It's interesting how the young and old sometimes don't sit together. And there was not one Bible on the student section. They all pulled out their cell phones, and they, they got their app. And, oh, my son said happy Sabbath here, by the way. Um, they all per- pulled out their apps and dug out whatever version they wanted to on, on the app. So the world is really changing nowadays. Um, they were telling me that there's apps now that go off. They have an alarms on their phones that every couple hours. It says, have you praised God for something? Have you read another book? You know, I'm being like Daniel for you and reminding you to pray three times a day. So I criticize these sometimes, but there are some good things from these apps. Well, all of the students there pulled out their apps and looked at this text. And this is the text I want to talk about a little bit this morning. Because it is a, we're going to learn about a biblical prescription for life. Philippians 4 verse 6. If you remember, this is Paul, his thank you notes to the Philippians as he's leaving. And he says, be anxious for what? Nothing. Nothing. But in how much? Everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Well, does that mean We can be anxious about, you know, maybe our finances and not worry about our health. No. Should we be anxious about what's going to happen tomorrow? No. Should we be anxious about what's happened yesterday? This text says we should be anxious about nothing. And then it tells us what to do. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, 
thanksgiving, let your requests be known. Well, as we read scripture, it's been very interesting. I've been studying different words, you know, and what is anxiety really represent? Anxiety is just a word and anxiety might mean different things from different people. For some, anxiety is fear. For others, cowardice. It might be apprehension or agitation or dread or fretting or worry or uneasiness or, or feeling troubled or distressed. For some, anxiety might be angst or uneasiness or troubled. Or some people, it just might be nervousness. But whatever this word is for you, God says, be anxious about nothing. So this word represents physiology that's going on in our brain. And we're going to talk a lot about the brain today. And I want you to flip back, flip forward to 2 Timothy. There's another text I want to plant in your brain today from 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's not given us... A spirit of anxiety. This is not the way he made us. This is the way our genetics has turned out. But we weren't made this way. He's given us a spirit, our original plan, of power and of love and of what? Sound mind. Do people have sound minds today? And what is programming our minds which coordinate our entire body, our genetics? Patients come to me in the hospital, and I try to teach them about stress. Stress from anywhere changes our genetics. You get your genetics changed enough, you get older. Sooner or later, you have a symptom. You go to the doctor, he treats the symptom, but not necessarily the cause. And I try to focus people back on the cause, the original stressor, if we can. Now, some of us just wear out anyway, because we get old, and that's okay too, because we know that when we have a relationship with God, we're healed. It's just where, when, and how. And just having that peace in us improves our body. Well, in this text, he says he wants us to have a sound mind. And today, people are afraid of everything. I get people that come to the office and they're scared of this election. They're scared to death. What's going to happen? Who's going to win? They're scared about having, you know, a car accident. Many people are scared about their health. So much so, so that it's dominating their brain, creating stress, which ages them and makes the whole problem worse. Brings me of a story uh, of another physician. He, he had a, a patient. This was a few years ago. He was a 52-year-old man that they found that they had a mass on the backside of his liver. And he told this gentleman, you have a lesion on your liver. And it's at a place we can't biopsy it very easily. We'll keep an eye on it. And the patient goes, well, what could this be, doc? He said, well, it could be nothing, but it also could be cancer. Well, as soon as he heard the cancer word, guess what happened? He gets scared to death. And he starts having one health problem after another health problem. And eight months later, he passes away. They do the biopsy during his autopsy, and it was a benign liver lesion. There was nothing wrong with him. I work with Herbert Benson, who, who works in Harvard. And he tells me this story about when he used to go out to the islands. 
And in the islands of the Pacific, he was doing autopsy on young men that were completely healthy, but were dying suddenly. And he finds out that these men believed that there were these rich people that were sticking needles in them, and they really believed it, and they died. The brain can create such chemistry and such fear and such anxiety that it can cause terrible health consequences. So, in medicine, we also have this anxiety. And God says, be anxious about nothing for a reason. God knew that this was going to be a problem for us. Be ang- and it was a problem for them back then. So, in medicine, we have, you know, we use these words to explain complex physiology in the brain. There's a hundred billion neurons in the brain, one quadrillion connections. So when I say all those words, there's something that goes off in each one of our brains. So for, for you, anxiety might be the hippocampus working at 10, these connections going on here and there. But for someone else, it might be a whole different set of physiology. So words just represent physiology and things that are going on that we might not be able to understand. Well, in medicine, we call this phobia, fear. And it's so advanced now, we've created a whole lingual of fear type things just so we can, I think, so we can scare people so they, they, they're, they're so scared to death that they keep buying into the system of fear. For instance, um, all these anxiety orders, they give them names called phobias. Um, if you're f- scared of dirt, for instance, they have a whole, you're called a, you're called a, where's my word, a misophobic. They even have people that are afraid of beards. So I couldn't walk next to you, or I would be called a pogonophobic. Fear of natural phenomena is called um, a phobia. If you're scared of the sun, it's called a heliophobic. Of the snow, a chinophobic. Of night, a nyctophobic. If you're scared of animals, you're synonophobic. If you're scared of spiders, you're arachnophobic. If all animals, you're zoophobic. If you're scared of tight situations, you're a claustrophobic. If you're afraid of going too fast, you're attackophobic. If you're scared of marriage, you're gametophobic. If you're scared of words, you're logophobic. If you're scared of activities, you're an agyrophobic. If you're scared of a street, you're an ergophobic. And it goes on and on and on and on. We've created these words that create more anxiety and it creates more stress in us just to explain a physiologic phenomena. It's amazing. Some people are afraid of everything and they're called panphobics. They're just scared of everything. And yet, I see this in the office every day. In fact, it's estimated that in in a lifetime, one in three people will suffer from severe anxiety. And right now, 17% of all people in the United States have an anxiety-related disorder. 17%. So some of you might have that. So that's why we're going to talk about a biblical prescription for that today. Now, sometimes anxiety starts out a little bit low. It's not a big deal. But then it can elevate. And in medicine, it elevates next to what we call panic attacks. Panic attacks. And there's real physiology for that. Then it can go to the next level. We call that obsessive compulsive disorder. These are all forms of anxiety and fear. And then the most scary of all, and it's a real disease, a real physiologic phenomenon, is the post-traumatic stress syndrome. That's probably the highest level of anxiety and stress that we have. There's real physiology behind that. So to understand our biblical prescription, why God is saying be anxious about nothing, I need to review with you 
a little bit about the stress chemistry of the brain and what happens when we have any level of anxiety. This is going to get a little bit complicated, so if I start losing people, raise your hand or go to sleep. One of the two, okay? Well, what's happening in the brain when we have anxiety? What says be, be anxious about nothing? What is physically happening? Well, Paul McLean, years ago, he was like, you remember Galileo? Galileo said the world was and not flat, right? Everyone said, Galileo, you're crazy. In fact, they wanted to disfellowship him, throw him out of the family. No one wanted to believe Galileo, but he was right. Well, Paul McLean, before his time, said the brain is consists of three functional layers. Three functional layers. Three parts of the brain that do three distinct things. And people at that time said, Paul, you are crazy. We don't believe you at all. We don't want you to be part of the society of smart people and neurologists. Just go away. We don't want to hear these theories. Well, through the years, we've had imaging techniques, including PET scans and MRIs and EEGs. And guess what? We found the brain has three functional layers. And to understand anxiety and fear and all these bad things that hurt our chemistry and understand the biblical prescription for this, we need to understand a little bit about what we know currently about these three functional layers. The first functional layer is the part that is is at the top going into the brainstem, and that's called the reptilian layer. Now, when I think of a reptile, I think about my trip down to St. Augustine. Has anyone ever been to St. Augustine, Florida? And have you seen the, 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 uh, the alligator farm there? Okay. That is a great place to observe reptiles. And the, the reptile's brain really is not too sophisticated. They're worried about eating, and they'll throw these big things out, and they'll wake up to eat. They're worried about security. They're also worried about reproducing and avoiding bad stimuli. That's about all their brains can do. Their brains can't look into the future. They're just worried about safety and security. They have these sensory layers, and this brain is really, I have to stay alive. It's a me-first layer. So this layer is very selfish. This layer of the brain is very selfish. We share that part of the brain with a reptile. We share that. We have that part of the brain too. But that's all they have. They don't have the other layers developed like we do. So... This is where the stress chemistry is turned on. You know, the adrenaline, the cortisol, all the bad chemistry. This is the fight or flight. You know, a car's coming at you. This layer's turned on, makes a bunch of chemistry so we can avoid the danger and stay alive. Reptiles just want to stay alive. That's what this layer does. The second layer of the brain that Paul McLean describes is the mammalian layer of the brain. The layer we share, share with mammals, dogs, for instance. Well, that's the part that has the limbic systems, emotions. So dogs can have emotions. That's, that, that part of the body, that part of the brain is very de- developed in smell. That's where our smell centers is. So if you look at the, um, the mammals, they, they, they want to smell things because that's the part of their brain that's most developed. Um, it's where our emotions live. It's also where are the hippocampus is in, in the mammalian brain. And this is the part of the brain that stores memories. This is the part that whatever we think that comes into our brain, it's our search engine. So if I ask you a question, the first part of your brain that starts working is the hippocampus. It wants to look at every little input that's ever gone into my life that might be activated. So that's why you see a good speaker, when he wants to engage his audience, he'll say, he'll ask him a question. 
because then their hippocampus becomes engaged. So they start looking for memories that go with, with, with the talk they're talking about. Well, this is on the mammalian layer. Um, it's our search engine. It's very fast. This is the fastest part of the brain. In fact, crimes of passion usually start in this layer. You get this layer and the thought goes in you, you, you know, you get emotional, you overreact really quick because this is the fast, you don't activate the next layer that we're going to talk about, and then you do something that you wish you hadn't have done. Um, so we share that with mammals. So we have that part of the brain. Now the mammals have that, and that's pretty much what they have. They don't have much above that. So that, this pretty much lives in the here and now. Okay, they they don't worry too much about the future. Um, they can't do that. They, mammals is about what's happening today. Nothing else really matters, even though the hippocampus lets them have some rudimentary memories. So we have that layer, but humans, humans have this greater layer above that, called the neocortex or the new brain, and. Um, there are some mammals that have a little bit of that. Um, crows. Um, what is another animal that has that? Um, dolphins. They have a little bit of this type of brain in you. Um, but, for, but the most developed is in humans. And parts of that that we've been studying through functional imming now are parts called the prefrontal cortex, where we do all of our thinking. The anterior cingulate cortex, which you're going to um, hear more about this afternoon. And this part of the brain has very sophisticated functions. It has abstract thought. Um, it lets us talk about metaphors. It gives us the ability to solve problems and look into the future. Um, this is where our consciousness resolves. Remember, we have lots of thoughts in our brain that never make it up to something that we remember. Our brain's doing all sorts of things, and only very few things actually get to the, the prefrontal cortex where we actually know what's going on. It's also the part of brain that lets us look into the future and say, well, what's my future is going to be? So this is a special part that God gave us. This is also the part of the brain that communicates with God. So it only makes sense that we want to develop this part of the brain and unless we're having an emergency, we want to turn down the stress part of the brain and the other part of the brains that we share with lower animals. We call that upshifting the brain. When we're under stress and anxiety, guess what? To some degree, we downshift the brain. And when a brain is downshifted, all it wants to do is stay alive. Stay alive. I just want to stay alive. So when we're anxiety, we're changing the physiology of our body. We're downshifting our brain. We're turning off some of those neurons that God wants us to develop in the upper part of the brain. When you're in an argument, for instance, you recall less than 15% of what's said in an argument. I said this. Oh, no, you didn't say that. Well, yes, I did say this. And they come back at the argument. Well, do you remember what I said? Well, no. Well, that's because the brain was downshifted because you were under stress. You weren't working on the prefrontal cortex. They say, well, you know, th this is where, you know, when you're emotional, you know, your prefrontal cortex, where your memory looking f to make good decisions about the future, that part is turned down when we actually want to turn that up when we have bad things happen, when we have anxiety. We also know when we downshift the brain, we also turn on all this stress chemistry, which raises the chance of heart attack, suppresses our immune system, decreases our ability to solve problems, reactivates old behaviors, turns on old habits that we use to stress. And in Timothy 1 verse 7, it says, God did not create a spirit of fear. He wants us to have a what type of brain? A sound brain. And he gives us some keys of how we might develop
a sound brain. And now that we sort of explained all this, I want to go over some things that you can do today to help lower your anxiety and give you a biblical prescription that will change your brain's chemistry to give you some tools so the next time your physiology changes, you have something you can do. So what are the three most common things that make people anxious, that make people anxious in our world today? Well, they've studied that, and the three most common things are are the answer to these questions. People overreacting, taking things personally, and jumping to conclusions. Those are the three most common things that create anxiety and fear, and we really don't need them. You know, how many times do we overreact, take things personally, jump to conclusion, it downshifts that brain so the upper parts are turned down. So in order to change the way we feel, we have to change the way we think. And feelings follow, feelings follow our thoughts. And actually it takes about seven seconds for a thought in the brain to become a consciousness that you are actually aware of it. So there's a lag times. So if you have some of these habits of overreacting, taking things personally, jumping to conclusions, if you can cut that back to any degree, say, listen, am I overreacting to this situation? Is it really that bad? That's not. Am I taking things personally? This is actually hurting my physiology, no one else's. And am I jumping to conclusions? Those are the three most common things. We saw that in that patient. He jumped to conclusion. He assumed that that liver lesion was cancer when it was not. He jumped to that conclusion. It caused such stress that it really damaged his body quite a bit. Well, what do we do when we recognize that we're doing that? Now, if there's a real danger, we want to turn on all this stress chemistry. We want to downshift. We want to turn on epinephrine and cortisol so we can get rid of the danger. But what, what can we do? What are biblical prescriptions? Well, in our text today, it says, Be anxious about nothing and prayer. Come to prayer. And if we have some things loaded into our brain of things that we do, biblical things that we do when we know we're being anxious or fearful, then we can turn on those things. And those pre-programmed we have loaded in our our software become so dominant that it says, no, I'm not going to worry about this anymore because I have these loaded skills. And those skills might be take three deep breaths. It might be think of three things to be happy about, two things to be laughing about. Make some endorphins. That will upshift your brain. It might be saying, am I overreacting to the situation? Am I taking things personal or am I jumping to conclusions? Well, I'm not going to do that. And then throw it into the sea. That's very biblical. Don't live yesterday again. Yesterday's history. Live today. So you have these things plugged into your mind. But another biblical prescription I want to throw it is is found in 1 John 4.18. And if you can go to 1 John 4.18, this is a biblical prescription to help us cast out fear. And it, it, it is another words that represent complex physiology. And in that text, it says, to know God, oh, no, it says, 1 John 4.18, it says, love cast out what? All fear. So the biblical prescription for fear, anxiety, and all these bad chemistry and downshifting our brain is to understand love. To understand what's the physiology of love. What does love look like? 
You know, what, 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 what it turns on the anterior cingulate cortex? Does it turn on the hippocampus to five? Does it turn off some of the stress part of our brains? What's the physiology of love? And how do we know? We know that love is the solution. Well, in 1 John 4, 8, it says to know God is to love God. So the biblical prescription for fear and anxiety is to find love. We can only find that physiology from God, because God is love. So we have to get to know God. And how do we do that? Well, it's through what we're doing now. It's through our worship. And some might worship corporately, reading the Word. Some might worship in acts of service. Some might worship in singing and praise. Some might worship in nature. Some might live in constant worship. There's many ways to worship. But as we worship, we understand love more. Love casts all fear. And Dr. Andrew Newberg has done the studies on worship, and he shows when we worship, we turn off the bad stress chemistry we have new neural pathways develop in our anterior cingulate cortex. We turn down that stress chemistry, and that stress chemistry actually ages us, makes the DNA in our telomeres shorter, and makes us more prone to have aging. If we age fast enough, we have a symptom, and then we reach for modern medicine that might not fix the cause. That's pretty complicated. But in our society, fear abounds. Fear is everywhere. Everyone's scared of different things. Every input we put into our body affects our health. Our food, the way we sit and move, our water, our brain inputs. And I'm real nervous about the cell phone now. Because the cell phone, now, the average person spends 7.6 hours in front of a screen a day. In front of a screen a day. 7 billion people have cell phones a day. So where do you think some of our inputs on our brain are going to be coming from? And whether those inputs ever become consciousness, they're still stored in our hippocampus. So our minds and our bodies and our physical and spiritual, you can sort of see how they're all going to go together. They all work together. It's just not one thing or the other. God has created a very complex body, a complex brain that we can't even understand. And the more I learn, actually, the less I know. And I'm now trying to learn about the one trillion bacteria in the bowel and all the things that they're doing and how they affect our thoughts and emotions. But the body is very complex, but fear is all around us. But we have a biblical solution, and that biblical solution is be anxious about nothing. And it tells us what we do. Come to God and worship. So the next time you're having anxiety or fears or troubles... Go through, upload something in your brain today. Say, listen, am I overreacting, jumping to conclusions, or taking things personally? Find three things to be happy about, two things to laugh about. Ask God Ask God to, to help you get over this. Start to worship Him. And realize that everything that happens in the past should be turned off. God throws everything into the sea. He forgets about it. We have to let our brains not live in the past, but in the future. Live this moment forward. A lot of people have fears and anxieties because of things that happened a long time ago. God has buried those. Well, we need to learn to do that as well. So we want to upload to the part of our brain that God has made unique to men and women and children and every, the entire world. And we will not want to downshift our, our brains. But yet in our society today, I see more and more people downshifting. They live in stress. And when a brain's under stress, it just wants to stay alive. 
And what does the brain look for when it wants to stay alive? Something to keep it safe. And that might be something to numb the senses. It might be alcohol, drugs. It might be too much of this, too much of that. We worship other things to feel safe. But the real biblical prescription that we now can prove physiologically is to be anxious about nothing. Because God has not created a spirit of fear, but of love. He wants us to have a sound mind. God knew that at the end, it would be a battle for our minds. Our minds control our health. This afternoon, we're going to learn more about the brain. We're going to learn more about biblical prescriptions for life. We're going to give functional tools that each one of us can use every day of our life to improve our physiology, but also to share with our friends and neighbors. And we're going to learn how, as we worship ourselves, God changes our brain. And this changing of our brain gives us the power to make physical changes. And when we get healthier, from might be drinking water or moving more, or being happier, it helps our worship improve. And our worship improves, our physical bodies improve. God has done some great things in helping us work together. Wow, that was a lot in a short period of time. I'm going to stop right there. And I want to encourage you to realize that we have a solution, a biblical prescription, and God wants us to be anxious about nothing but come to him in worship and prayer. And he's promised to heal us. Now, how God heals us is his business. You know, sometimes he heals right away through modern medicine. Sometimes he heals by giving us the power in our brains to change our lifestyle. But we promised. I had a patient come to me and said, I haven't done anything right that we've talked about. I still smoke, I still drink, and now I'm I'm on my deathbed. And I said, you know what? You still have a healer in God. And he's promised. He's promised that, that, you know, if you come to him, he's going to heal you. He's in charge of the where, when, and hows, not us. And even though you can't do anything, that's something that's called grace. And God's grace is enough to make up for her weaknesses. But as we worship and walk with God, I guarantee you, he's going to find you little things that you can do to improve your health one step at a time. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for each person that's here today. And we pray that through their worship that you help them to be anxious about nothing so that their brains will upshift, their stress chemistry, and their health will improve. And that your love, which casts out all fear, will fear their lives. And they will realize that no matter what happens to them, there's no reason to fear because you're going to heal them in your time and your way. Thank you for your promise and your son that gives us grace, that makes up for our weaknesses. Father, thank you for helping us to be anxious about nothing. Amen.